Support for Real Humans by Gina Kaufman comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. Hey, Kansas City. You're listening to Real Humans by Gina Kaufman, a podcast from KCUR Studios. On this episode, people from all over the country send their beat-up old Birkenstocks to a shoe store in Lawrence to be fixed. Meet the owner of Footprints and the people who trust him with their favorite shoes. If you have spent any time in the college town of Lawrence, Kansas, you know the big yellow awning with a giant outline of a footprint on it on Mass Street. It is an unofficial landmark heading north after taking the Lawrence exit from K-10. That overhang kind of functions, for me anyway, as a welcome to downtown sign. It's where the residential strip ends and the action begins. That awning is attached to a shoe store, Footprints. They specialize in Birkenstock sales and repairs, and they've been here in the hippie shoe business for about 35 years. Just one of the many ways Lawrence earns its reputation as the Berkeley of Kansas. Like everything at Footprints, the doorknob has a lot of personality. Oh! I apparently don't know how to use it. No one does. (laughs) So does the owner, Mick Ranny. You want a tour first? Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. Uh, Well, this is our main storefront. It's a... Who showed me around the place. As you can see, we just have tons and tons of shoes everywhere. Yeah. The store itself is iconic. But we'll get back to that because I want to take you behind the store across a little patio to the real heart of the operation. Our repair shop is built in the shape of a church. The repair shop, where Birkenstocks mailed from anywhere with the U.S. zip code, including Guam, await personal attention. This is a sacred space. Wooden cobbler's tools hang above a clean work table, but on every other surface, Birkenstocks are stacked neatly but precariously. People have relationships with these guys. He picks up one leather-strapped comfort shoe after another, starting with a dark blue closed-toe mule with a heel strap. Like this one uh, belongs to a pastry chef. And so it has a special uh, super rip sole on it. It has better traction on on slicker surfaces. He grabs a more familiar-looking model with brown leather straps. So this is a discontinued shoe from 15 or 20 years ago and it had a little bit higher arch than the standard Birkenstock. This particular footbed is the favorite footbed of this customer, and they can't buy another one, so the only way they're gonna get the support that they want and need from this is to have it repaired. People send their shoes here rather than buying new ones, even though sometimes that means paying more for repairs than it would cost to buy new. And that's saying a lot because the most basic Birkenstock model, the Arizona, will run you in the range of $100 to $135, depending on the choice of leather. Repairing shoes keeps junk out of landfills, but almost as importantly, Birkenstocks mold to the shape of the wearer's foot over time. Not to mention some painful breaking in, although Mick says that once the shoes train you to walk right, that's less of a factor. Be that as it may, 
die-hard fans don't necessarily relish starting from scratch with a new pair. The aesthetic of clean, unscuffed new shoes straight out of the box is anathema to old-school Birkenstock chic, if such a chic can be said to exist. Birkenstocks have had time to earn this kind of devotion against all odds. The style goes back to 1774, when a German cobbler named Johann Adam Birkenstock came up with the novel idea of making fitness sandals. It was his great-great-grandson, Conrad, who came up with the idea of flexible footbeds in 1896. And once those footbeds came along, you pretty much had Birkenstocks as we know them today, 126 years later. People get attached. Mick says Footprints has this one customer, not a local customer, a mail-order customer. Who bought her first pair of Birkenstocks while she was on her way to Woodstock. And she's rather old now, and she sent us her shoes to have them not resold for the first time, but probably for the seventh or eighth time. And the footbed was all rotted, and so we transferred her straps to a new footbed so we could start all over. So everything was going to be new except for the straps and the buckles. What the customer didn't anticipate was that the footprints crew might clean the leather straps. And while she sent them in, they were all filthy dirty and the straps, which were a lighter cocoa color, had become kind of darker brown. Mick did clean the straps. And when the customer got her shoes back, she didn't recognize them, and she was upset, which Mick totally gets. There's something kind of unique about wearing a pair of Birkenstocks or your favorite shirt or whatever that after you wear it for a long time, you get this connection with it that is kind of personal, and it has a value beyond, beyond normal reason, it seems. He tells a similar story about a nun who wore her Birkenstocks to the Holy Land. The significance of that memory carried so much meaning that what she wanted wasn't just to fix a pair of shoes. What she wanted was kind of religious, to extend the life of her Birkenstocks indefinitely. That's a lot of love for a shoe, and especially one dismissed for so long as an ugly shoe, although that reputation has clearly been vindicated. The Birkenstock revival we are currently experiencing isn't the first, but it is the most enduring. It started around 2014, and at this point we've got fashion magazines running photo spreads showing how A-list celebrities are styling their Birkenstocks. And in Kansas, Mick says, sure. He's seen the brand's popularity ebb and flow, but for the first time in his experience trendy young people want to wear Birkenstocks for the look. I, I think it's way more mainstream now, very accepted. And the age thing is huge. It's definitely expanded from just the baby boom generation. And so that, that's been our core customer base for, for a long time. But it's, it's, thankfully, it's, it's expanded. Nearly four decades in business is wildly unheard of for an independent retail shop in a single location. And the story of how Mick started out would not have predicted his current status as a national footwear treasure. He actually began selling bicycles when he first took over this storefront not Birkenstocks, and the sandal takeover was gradual. In the early 1980s, Mick got the idea from his then-girlfriend's ex-husband, who sold Birkenstocks in Connecticut, and he thought maybe they'd be popular in Lawrence. We made an order, and uh, 
And we started selling more and more Birkenstocks. From a profit standpoint, the results were striking. Mostly because of how many boxes of shoes you can have in a store. Bikes are big. On a big box of, of a bicycle this big, we would make as much profit as we would out of a Birkenstock box this big. And we didn't have to assemble the Birkenstocks. You had to assemble the bike. Back in the 80s, Birkenstocks were still the shoes of a subculture. They didn't have mass appeal. So Mick deliberately cultivated a national clientele by advertising his repair service, and that calculated move is still paying off. We would advertise in Mother Jones magazine, uh, all, all sorts of more left-of-center publications, which Birkenstocks tend to be a more liberal sort of footwear. Back then, a new pair of Birkenstocks cost $48. Footprints charge 24 for repairs. Most of the time, that didn't even come close to compensating for the time required for labor. But it's turned out to be a part of the job that Mick really loves. He sees it as a way to help people solve problems. When I started the store, I had been a roofer and house painter. I had been a bicycle store owner. And I'd done all sorts of things that would lasted two or three or four years. And I never anticipated I would do this for the following 35 years or so. But I enjoy our customers. It doesn't seem like I go to work in the morning. I just go and socialize with people and help them out. And, and we make enough sales that I'm comfortable. Every inch of the two-room retail space at Footprints is an extension of Mick. First of all, the walls are covered in murals. Some of them reflect his love of Kansas. Giant painted corn stalks, wheat fields under big blue skies. In the adjoining space, there's a dinosaur theme, and that has to do with a dream Mick had once. In the immersive, prehistoric scene... We have a fanciful uh, Birkosaurus there, which was a uh, dinosaur with the uh, cranium of a Birkenstock, Arizona. With Birkenstock sales booming, Mick doesn't need to attract new customers like he once did, and that's what got him into the repair side of things in the first place. Repairs aren't profitable but Mick still gets shoes in the mail from people who have been sending them here out of habit for decades. He gets shoes from their kids, too. Second-generation customers. I've always thought it was kind of, a, kind of the heart of our store. We are true believers, and we're going to maintain that shoe as long as you want them to be maintained. Of course, Mick Ranny is aging alongside his clientele. It took one serious bout of carpal tunnel to show him that nonstop repairs would not be possible. Similar shops across the country have stopped doing repairs altogether. Well, since I'm getting older, it's a question that a lot of customers ask, like, you're still doing this? Or have you found your replacement? Uh, I mean, what's going to happen when, you, when you're not doing this? Because I don't know. I, it's, as long as I enjoy doing it. I'm, I'm happy doing it, as long as I'm healthy. When he says this, I think maybe I get the Berkosaurus on the wall, just going about his business, long past his peers' extinction, and smiling. Not in ignorant bliss, but in knowing gratitude. That's it. Thanks for listening to Real Humans. It's based on a column I write for kcur.org every Sunday. Gabe Rosenberg edits that column, and it's got pictures by Carlos Moreno. You know you want to see pictures of this shoe store. kcur.org. 
Check them out. The podcast is produced by Mackenzie Martin and Trevor Grandin with music from Blue Dot Sessions. Subscribe in all the usual places. And by the way, I don't know if everyone realizes this, but this podcast, like everything else KCUR puts out into the world, it's only possible because of support from listeners. If you aren't a KCUR member and don't know how all of that works, there isn't a minimum donation level. You can contribute at any level, and we appreciate every cent. If that's something you're interested in, go to kcur.org give. There's a lot of information. It's super easy. And if not, maybe some other time. Either way, thanks for listening. I'm Gina Kaufman. I'll be back with another Kansas City story next week. Women's History Month is all about honoring and remembering women who have shaped the world we live in, like the Kansas City women who created Womantown in the 90s. We had no problem with men. We just didn't want them running our lives. The fact that so many of these women just heard about it and then bought a house, it had to have been pretty impressive. A radical community by and for women. Check it out on KCUR's A People's History of Kansas City, wherever you get your podcasts.